Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, before we get started, I want to share with you something I put together for you. I have a fun new quiz that is pick these hashtags and we'll tell you how to target your audience. We know so many of you are small business owners and creatives who are using Instagram to up-level the exposure of your business. And so we really wanted to help you reach the right people. It's a fun, quick quiz, and I guarantee you it will deliver results. So check that out. I've linked it up in the show notes. It's also in my Instagram bio and on my website. Let me know your results. I'm excited to hear. Welcome back, y'all. I am glad you're here with me for another week at the Radiant Podcast. Every week, I love hosting people who I find interesting, who are great leaders, and who, like most of us, are learning as they go. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Elizabeth, co-founder of Trades of Hope today. She is such a joy to chat with. I love hearing her story, and I know you will too. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey, I am so glad you're joining me today on the Radiant Podcast. Me too. I'm so happy to be here. It is so cool to hear about what you're doing with Trades of Hope, and I'm just so glad we got connected. I was telling you earlier this morning that the best part of the Radiant Podcast is that people who are coming on are already new friends, or already friends, or I get to make new friends. So I'm glad to be new friends. It's awesome. What a great way to cultivate community from all over. It is. It's pretty fun. So I love what you're doing with Trades of Hope, and I would love for you to kind of start by sharing your story and what you do, how you got to where you are, and really all of your story with Trades of Hope involved as well. Just share it all. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, just to give a little overview before I jump into my story, um, Trades of Hope is a company, uh, and we sell ethically made Uh, accessories um, made by women in 16 different countries all around the world. And these women wouldn't have a safe way to earn a sustainable and consistent income if it wasn't for their jobs creating um, our accessories. And we get to sell these beautiful accessories. We have a beautiful line, everything from jewelry to scarves to bags to home decor and some even some um, beauty products. And it is just so fun. It's fun to Um, just have a great time with these things that women love, but then you know that they're helping women all around the world too. So it's really the best of both worlds. Um, To talk about a little bit about how I got into Trades of Hope starts back all the way from when I was like five years old. When I was a little girl, my family founded a nonprofit organization in Haiti. Um, and that nonprofit was a, um, an orphanage, a school, and a medical clinic, and they're actually still operating today. They're called Three Angels Children's Relief, an awesome organization. And um, we, yeah, we still love them and go, I, I visit there at least once a year. It's so awesome what they're doing for the people of Haiti there. Um, and my family started that when I was five. And when I was eight years old, I actually went to Haiti for the first time. My mom took me there on one of her many, many trips there that she took. Um, she went at least 
once every three months and um, figured that it was time to show me what she was doing down there, which was, which is unusual. Most uh, moms don't take their kids to a developing country at eight years old, but it was one of the best gifts that she's ever given me because it opened my eyes at such a young age. It gave me a really, um, really big worldview and really... Um, gave me this awakening to the reality that's happening around the world and that my life and my experience um, is unique and it's exceptional to what's happening um, to millions upon millions of people all around the world. And even at a young age, I was so moved by what I saw. I was moved by the poverty, but I was also moved by how people um, were... um, finding hope and finding joy. And I wanted to be a part of that exchange. Nothing else seemed as important um, as when I was there. So I grew up going back to Haiti back and forth ever since that first trip as an eight-year-old. And um, if I wasn't in Haiti, I was thinking about how to get to Haiti. Um, Of course, I was in school, um, just a a typical American girl growing up outside of Los Angeles. And um, I I was still so preoccupied with thoughts of Haiti when I was home here in the States. And I felt this tension and this tug from when I was like nine up until around 15 of um, feeling so misplaced and feeling like my purpose and what I should be doing was in Haiti. But of course, that wasn't a um, feasible um, option for me as a a kid. And then I remember when a devastating earthquake hit Haiti in 2010, um, miraculously, all of the children who were in the orphanage that we um, started, they were evacuated out of Haiti without a scratch on their head to America on um, visas. And thankfully, most of those kids were already in an adoption process with families here in the United States. And so they got to um, stay with their adoptive families while their adoption process continued. And those who didn't have an adoptive parent at the time found some within a few days upon coming to the United States. And it was a miracle. And my mom just like hopped on a plane and and flew into the devastation just like a couple days after the earthquake and I begged her, I begged her, please let me come with you. I felt like my friends and family were facing this nightmare and there was nothing I could do to help them. And I begged to go and I felt like she was maybe considering it. She might've just been doing that to, to humor me. Um, but eventually she said, you know, the, any planes that can get down to Haiti. Those seats are reserved on that plane for doctors and construction workers. And and in a nice way, she was telling me it was for people who can actually help those (laughs) in Haiti. And I I felt so helpless. Like, wow, like, yeah, I I was 15 when this earthquake happened. And I was just like, wow, I can't, I really don't have anything to offer. And all I would do is really go and hold and comfort babies while they're waiting to get their visas. And, um, that was a really monumental moment for me, this feeling of complete helplessness and, and having this passion, but no way to channel that passion into action. And um, after all of those children came to America on their visas and their adoption processes were being finished, um, my mom realized that she had an empty orphanage. And for a long time, my family had just been learning about 
other avenues to help people out of poverty rather than through donations and charity. Um, those things aren't bad, but but for example, the the community around the nonprofit where we were in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, did not change over the decade that we were operating there. Um, there was still poverty in the community, and while children were leaving the area, the people, the families, and the people and the adults who were there saw no relief. Um, and that wasn't, that didn't sit well with us whatsoever. And, um, I remember my mom talking to me about microloans and sustainable business and how when you give a woman just a small loan, a very small loan, um, she can take that and she can create a whole business out of that. And she can then create a, um, an opportunity for herself to have a job and to earn an income continually. And that is what will help people rise out of poverty is when they have a continual safe way to earn an income. Um, it's, it's just job creation at its core and at its purest level. And, um, that was kind of my realization that, we couldn't continue doing things and helping people the same way we were helping them. Charity and donations and relief work definitely have a place, but it's my belief that that place is after a devastation, a, a natural disaster, or um, at a level of things like orphan care or medical care. Those are, those are ways that charity and donations come in and are very much needed. But when it comes to um, alleviating poverty out of communities. Um, it doesn't make sense to keep communities dependent on handouts and donations that after a while might not continue coming in. Um, and that is where sustainable business comes in. And this is where Trades of Hope comes in. Um, because of our time in Haiti, we had a lot of connections and just through networking and person-to-person -person communications in Haiti. And um, we learned of a a friend of a friend who was teaching women to roll strips of cereal boxes into beads and then turning those beads into jewelry. And um, it started with just some women sitting on a living room floor saying like, I don't know, do you think anyone would want this? And then throwing it online and people um, buying it and loving it. And then they needed to go back and make more things. And um, we just thought, well, what if we could help kind of like blow that out of the water. So it's not just posts on Facebook, but um, a real marketplace for people to buy these beautiful, beautiful accessories that are also creating jobs. And then we thought, well, what if we could do this for countries all around the world? What if it wasn't just Haiti? What if it was countries in Africa? Or what if it was India? Or what if it was Thailand? And in, in, all of, in all of our travels, we, as I'm, I'm sure anyone who has traveled has, has noticed that the people in, in those cultures create beautiful things. There are beautiful textiles and ceramics and accessories and leather products, but most of those things don't reach the U.S. because there isn't a platform for American women to know that those beautiful things are out there. And that's what Trades of Hope is, is we're a platform for these artists and women to share with the world what they've got, what talents they have, what ideas they have, what abilities they have, and what beautiful products they have. And um, we create a marketplace for these products, um, a marketplace that wouldn't exist if we weren't making people aware of 
the beautiful accessories that are out there and that are um, sustainably sourced and that are um, kind to the environment and that most importantly are kind to the people who make them. Trades of Hope is a fair trade um, federation member, which means that we are held um, to, we are held accountable to make sure that our artisans' best interest is um, kept in mind, that um, the working conditions where our products are made are safe, that there's no child labor, there's no slavery, that there um, is only kind and um, encouraging environments that are set up to help these women uh, succeed. Um, so that's Trades of Hope and a little bit about why I felt so compelled to co-found it. That is so cool. And I, I love your heart behind um, empowering women and really um, not living in this charity mindset. And, and I agree, like you said, it does have a place, but um, the micro loan component and allowing them to have a trade that they're so proud of. Um, and just being a small part of that and helping them get their business off the ground, that is empowering. And so I love to hear about that. That is just so cool. Um, what has been one of your favorite stories of a woman you guys have worked with? Oh, wow. My favorite story. There are so many. Um, that is such a, a, a gift is to constantly hear these stories of women whose lives are turning around. I do think my one of my favorite accounts is um, of, a, of a woman in Haiti. We do work in six, with women in 16 different countries, but um, I, I do think my favorite is of a woman named Shirley. And Shirley um, is a prime example of why when women are educated, they have a myriad of more opportunities ahead of them. Um, Shirley is a Haitian woman who, as a child, um, was able to go to school, um, and she received a pretty good education in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And um, she started working with one of our artisan groups, and today she is one of the, the, the head managers of this group. She is one of the, the point people and she um, does so much, she doesn't even make product anymore. She helps the operations and she helps um, communicating with um, people like Trades of Hope or companies like Trades of Hope. Um, and not only, not only has she grown in a major operation and, and that is now helping her people in her community, um, the people who work in this group with her, there's, there's hundreds of people and it's transforming that community in Haiti. So not only is she a leader in that, but she also, she just, just this year adopted a baby oh. who needed a family. And so to me, just, especially my background in orphan care, like I, 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 I'm having, I have chills right now thinking about how like the, the baby who needed a family, like there's nothing wrong with adoption. Actually, my sister is adopted, which is why um, my, my family started that orphanage in the first place. But, and there's nothing, I, I love adoption. It's beautiful and it's a gift and it, it changes lives. However, um, what a, what a beautiful thing it is too, for a child to be able to stay in, in this case, his country and learn about his culture and, um, 
I don't, that to me, that just gives me chills. And, um, and it gives me chills that Shirley was able to help a child in her own country that, um, that she started out as a woman who was not only success, who was not only educated, not only successful in her career, but then has influence in her community. It's one thing to um, support yourself. It's one thing to um, be to stand on your own two feet. But I think it's another thing when you have influence in your community to bring about change and bring about hope. So I think that for that reason. Um, Shirley's story is definitely one of my favorites. That is incredible. I love that. And I, I think you're right. Like, I mean, we have a heart to adopt at some point, but it's amazing when, you know, the, the nationals of a country really are empowering their own um, yeah. next generation. And that is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so what was it like in the beginning phases of starting up? Because now, you know, Traits of Hope is established. It's in 16 countries. But what were those early days like? Those early days. Um, so when we co-founded when uh, when we all started Trees of Hope, it was um, very organic. We very much just did it. Um, there, we um, I think we started with um, just a couple thousand dollars and continually put money back into Trees of Hope. And it was kind of like, well, let's we'll just find some products and we'll sell it here and we'll sell it for our friends and we'll see what our friends think. And um, at Trees of Hope, we sell through um, the the um, party model. So we have women who come on and join Trades of Hope as compassionate entrepreneurs. And it's, um, they then become, they have their own business in Trades of Hope, um, selling our product and they earn a commission off of their sales, which then creates this dignified partnership between compassionate entrepreneur and, um, an artisan woman, um, around the world. And so we said, well, we'll do kind of like this mock party and we'll invite our friends and we'll see what they think. And, um, yeah, some of them didn't like it. Um, some of them thought it was really cool. Some of them I could tell weren't like overly impressed. And, um, we, we just, we had this vision, we had this dream and we believed that it would be blessed and we believed that it would grow. And we, um, maybe we just had this like crazy overconfidence, but we continued to push forward and we were continue to be amazed at how people kept buying stuff and people kept um, signing on as compassion entrepreneurs because they wanted a flexible way to earn an income that was also that benefited their family, but was also purposeful for people around the world. And um, I, I, re I remember when when I was about 15, I helped um, fulfill some of our orders. The funny thing is, is that at Trades of Hope, we all had to learn how to do everything. So <laughs> I was doing some accounting at some point. I was fulfilling orders at some point. It was all over the place. But um, we just believed that um, you can uh, learn how to do anything on the internet and you will never know if you can't do it until you try. And I remember one day walking into, um, we were actually operating out of a storage unit at the time. I walked into our storage unit and, um, which was kind of our makeshift distribution center to go fill orders. And I remember like walking in there with, um, a woman who was fulfilling orders with me and we saw there were 20 orders and we're like, oh my gosh, these 20 orders are going to take forever. It's going to take hours. Like, this is, this, this is awesome, but this is crazy. And um, it's just so funny to me that now we get 
I mean, that's that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so cool to see how what overwhelmed us then is is so not what overwhelms <laughs> us now, um, which is good. Growth is so good. Um, but it's funny just to see the progression and the different seasons within a business um, when you've seen it since since day one. Man, that is so cool. So I would love for you to touch on um, what it's like to kind of learn all the ropes. Like you said, like you fulfilled orders. You probably did some accounting. Like I think all of us, when we're launching our dreams, um, look at the sparkly part of launching mm-hmm. our dreams. But really, we're, you know, probably launching our dreams while working another day job. We are learning all the things that maybe aren't our strength. I have to do things that I'm are not my strength. Someone else who is skilled in that area would do a way better job of me. But just because of the season we might be in, I might need to learn accounting or whatever. And so can you touch on what it's like to kind of spin all those hats um, and what that startup season, um, kind of the non-glamorous side of it and why it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, the thing that just comes to mind so like loudly is just to trust yourself. Um, I think we have so much more ability than we give ourselves credit for. And I think we are doing a lot better than we give ourselves credit for. Um, and, yeah, just to trust yourself that even if something that might not be your strong suit, like I said, accounting numbers, definitely not my strong suit. I actually did things like wrong. Um, I definitely wrote wrong checks and they needed to be rewritten. Um, but being afraid of that, um, is what will hold back your business or your dream or whatever it is you're starting. Your fear of being wrong is going to hold your work back far more than your actual lack of ability will hold it back. Um, If I would have, I would have, caused a lot more problems by saying like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not my strong suit. Um, Far more problems would have been caused by that than just like, oh, Elizabeth wrote that check wrong. She needs to do that again. Um, So I would just, I would just encourage anyone who is, who is trying to make their dreams come true from scratch. And they are um, in the trenches trying to make it work is to, to just to just do it and to just trust yourself. Um, because I, I mean, I love that quote that fear kills more dreams than ability or lack of ability ever could. And, um, I see, I, I have so many friends who talk to me who, and, and, and my, my dream and for, and vision for trades of hope is happening. It is reality now. And they, they talk to me and and they're just like, yeah, I think I might want to do this or I might want to do that, but I don't really know. I don't really think I can do that. And I'm just like, you guys like, just do it. If if it's your dream, it's your dream for a reason. And, um, I, I'm going to paraphrase something that one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth Gilbert says, and she paints this illustration of when I, when an idea comes to you, um, it comes to you through inspiration and inspiration is trying to get your attention and say, Hey, we should create this thing and we should make this dream a reality. 
And if you don't say yes and you don't accept that inspiration and that dream and that creativity, then it's going to go find something else because it really wants to be man- it really wants to be manifested into reality. So if you say no, I can't do it. Someone else is going to do it. Yes. And, um, and I feel like that's happened to me before because sometimes I see like someone make something or there's a piece of art and I'm just like, oh, I wish I thought of that first. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's kind of, to me, I laugh at that and kind of think that that, um, that inspiration went and found someone else when I didn't give it the time of day. And um, yeah, I think, especially women, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit. And I just, I, I want to say to every woman that you are doing far better than you think you're doing. That is really encouraging, and I love Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic. We'll right? have to link that up yes. in the show notes because, man, she is her thoughts on creativity, um, which then funnel into you know business. If you're launching something that you've long time dreamed of, um, are really encouraging. Like I, that book was extremely transformative for me. Wow, I wow, love yeah. her. So um, good recommendation, and and I. <laughs> I love what you said that your doubts about, you know, what you can do are by you not doing it, that's going to hold you back far beyond anything that you might just mess up. Right. (laughs) Really, we're all we're all winging it. And I think we look at other people and think they've got it all figured out when really I hear time and time again that, you know, we all just started somewhere and um pursued it step by step and learned along the way. Absolutely. So I have a question. Do you work with your mom? I do. do. Yeah, my mom is one of the co-founders. And is our Holly and Chelsea mother and daughter? They They are. are. We are two mother-daughter teams. I love that. So what's it like working with your mom? And man, okay, so you've got two families working together. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, people joke all the time, like you don't go into business with friends or family or people (laughs) love it. It just is always like the exception to the rule and it works seamlessly sometimes. So what's that like and how do you navigate like personal life versus work life you know did y'all have to navigate some tough seasons of like this we've got to get to work and I don't care if I'm mad at you yes no definitely um it is it is such a gift um there definitely are some some tough times but they get like just you know in reality there's going to be tough times and everything but the the good definitely outweighs those times. Um, my mom is my best friend and I love, especially as an adult, I love that I have multiple reasons to talk to her every day. Um, I think it might be, this is sad, but I think it might be easy to um, postpone a personal call or a per- personal message or whatever. But when it's work <laughs> and people are relying on you to communicate um, to get their jobs done, then um, it's a little more um, urgent. And so I love that we have um, reason to talk um, every single day. And um, I know Chelsea and Holly are very close too, and they appreciate that as well. Um, I think the biggest gift is um, working working with your mom. You don't really have to question... um, you don't have to question where their best interest lies because at the end of the day, my mom is still my mom and she would never throw me under the bus nor yeah. I throw her under the bus. And that's a gift in, in business because especially as you get to 
a big national company like Trades of Hope, um, a lot gets on the line and there are a lot of pressures and there are a lot of um, growing pains and, and stuff like that. And it's nice to know that you're in business with someone who loves you and who is rooting for you. Um, another gift that, that it brings is we have a lot of friends who, um, are either founders or CEOs of their companies and, um, and all of the things that they have to tackle. I'm just so in awe of them. They, they do it alone. Like they, they lead their companies, um, valiantly, um, and they're, they're leading the way all by themselves. And I'm complete awe of them. Um, and it's such a gift to, have other leaders to fall back on when, when, you know, you have three other co-founders. Um, it is a real gift to know that if anything happens or, um, I am not able to, um, something came up and I'm not able to do something. It's great to know that people are in your corner and, and not everything is relying on you. And that if I make a, if I make a misstep, it's okay because the weight is being shared by three other women. And that is a, that is a gift. And, um, it's, and I think it's a beautiful thing to see, um, a group of, of women working together. Um, I think in the past women have gotten kind of a bad rap of ability to work together, or there's just always things like comparison coming up or insecurity coming up. And so I think it's a really cool feat that we've accomplished by doing business together, all four of us. And it is a gift that one of those is my mom for sure. That is so cool. And I just, I love, um, hearing the, the genuineness of the joy it is for you. And that is just really sweet. And how fun. I would love to work with my mom. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. What is it like? I would say it's probably quite a large team, whether it's your compassionate entrepreneurs or your artisan. Um, what is it like managing people? And has that been a challenge? What has been the biggest lesson or takeaway you've learned along the way with that? I would love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, um, I would say that the, the the biggest takeaway that I've learned is that when you make people feel, or when, when you make people aware of the significance that they have and the influence that they have. Um, that they shine and they grow. And I'm thinking specifically, um, we have a wonderful, um, a home team, which is our, our, um, inner, inner, the people who work in, for us internally and with us internally, and they do everything, um, to support our compassion entrepreneurs and support our artisans. We have departments just for our compassion entrepreneurs who work with them and departments just for our artisans who work for them. And I'm just thinking about how closely, some close experiences I've had with people on those teams. And, and when you just clue them in, because sometimes they, sometimes they don't know like how much influence they have and how much, um, significance they have to something like trades of hope succeeding they come alive and they get creative and they um thrive and it's it's great to see people um who might have been quieter or um, more reserved 
um, in the beginning and then through their work, they gain confidence and they gain a, um, a, a defined voice and they begin to use that voice and that confidence to really, um, come out of their shell and to find new parts of themselves. And that has been my favorite part of working with people is seeing people develop as I'm sure those people have seen me develop, um, because they definitely, um, teach me along the way as well. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it's I think it's an an amazing gift when your work can be a part of your personal development instead of just a job. And um I'm thankful for that for me personally and I'm thankful to see it in um on our home team whom we work with so closely. I love that. That um it it has been really cool here at Radiant to see all the different personality types and um, all the different backgrounds come together and work work with one another um, and, and really see how each person can kind of uh, offer something to the team. We can learn from every single person on our team. And so um, I, I love hearing about um, kind of team functions. And I think for our listeners who might be starting a starting a business, they may be a solopreneur at the moment, but as they one day bring on a team, I always think it's fun to hear um, about team dynamics. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. So, so important. So can you tell us about the 16 countries you guys are in and what you're doing there? Um, I would love to hear more about that. Absolutely. So well, another thing, I love a lot of things about my job, but another thing that I love is just the exposure to different cultures and the opportunity to learn about different cultures. Um, and, and the way that we are helping people in different countries, um, while we're all creating jobs, um, there is, there is like specific niches that are, um, specific to different countries that we're working in. Um, for instance, Haiti, like I talked about, is preventing um, a need for orphan care. When you give mothers and fathers um, jobs, they don't have to relinquish their children to orphanages anymore. And um, in Africa, we work with, um, specifically um, in, in Kenya, we work with um, people who have disabilities and they can't find jobs elsewhere. And um, so by cultivating a compassionate working environment that accommodates those, those needs that come from disabilities, um, these people have jobs now. Um, another really important way that we are helping is um, helping people in Cambodia who have been acid attacked. So in Cambodia, it's a heartbreaking reality and a common practice that um, if a woman seemingly has done something wrong, um, someone will throw a bucket of acid on their face and on their bodies. And, and when I say do something wrong, it could be anything from um, a husband felt that they weren't being respectful or a, even another woman felt that um, she was being taken advantage of or she... Um, Someone was trying to take her business. And so then she will make sure that, uh, you know, some acid is flung on the competing woman. And it is terrible. It is absolutely devastating. And, and something that I've learned from communicating with some of these acid attack survivors is that it's like having your worst experience on display for everyone to see because those scars, they manipulate, manipulate your face and your body, um, 
and you can't keep it a secret. Um, most of us have the privacy to um, keep um, our darkest days at least pretty much hidden from the public. At least we can choose whom we share those those moments with and those experiences with. But when you've experienced an acid attack, beyond the physical pain that you endure, after that you have the continual pain of everyone knowing this devastating event that has happened to you. And then also the shame with, well, now it's common knowledge that you were perceived as someone who was bad because you were punished. Um, and then you're, and then they are ostracized. They're ostracized from their communities because they, um, are labeled as someone who did something wrong by their scars. And so, um, women then endure numerous reconstructive surgeries if they can afford them, um, to try and bring, um, their bodies and their face back to at least a, a functioning condition. Um, and so the, the group that we work with in Cambodia offers, um, not only a working place, but like a sanctuary where they are then accepted and where they are not ostracized. And um, it's a place where they can not only earn an income, but they can learn how to love themselves again. They can learn how to um, begin to feel like they have purpose and value again. Um, because not only were they told that they don't have value, but then even the, the physical value of their body was then taken away from them. So... Um, it is, it is a devastating, devastating reality, but it makes the, the hope um, so much more impactful. Um, we've, we've heard from one woman named Yaw, and she's given us um, the permission to share her story uh, multiple times. And um, Yaw is, is today, she was, she was acid attacked and she, she survived. And today she is, um, this like spunky, really vibrant woman. She like dyes her hair red and she loves helping the other women feel beautiful by doing their makeup. And, um, just, just, they, she, she views it as her mission now that she has, um, grown through her nightmarish experiences. She has gone, grown through them and, um, she loves reminding the women in this group of their value and of their purpose. And um, she, she has told us multiple times um, that the women who make these products have amazing ideas and they have amazing hearts and they have a brain that comes up with um, beautiful concepts and beautiful creations. And um, there's actually a video of her talking about that on our YouTube channel. And um, it moves me every time. And um, that is a, and that would be probably one of my, my other favorite stories. I didn't know if I should share that one or Shirley's earlier. But um, again, just when you can see a woman go from devastation to struggling to finally able to stand on her feet to pouring back into her community as a leader as an, and as an influencer, that is what completely moves me to my core. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty, um, powerful. How yeah. cool. And I had no idea that happened in Cambodia. Wow. Um, I love that you guys are able to meet the needs, um, in each and every place that you're at. And that might look different in each location, but I think that is really cool. Um, and really needed in this world. So I love what you guys are doing. I, I would love if you would share about um, the conference you have coming up. 
Awesome. Yeah. So um, we have our Empower Conference coming up in Nashville. Um, and it's a conference that we put on for our compassionate entrepreneurs. Uh, we have 400 women coming so far to our conference at the end of this month. And we offer it to our compassionate entrepreneurs to cultivate community, to um, give them an opportunity to experience the sisterhood that is within Trades of Hope um, through our compassionate entrepreneurs. And to, of course, hear from us as the founders. I think it's important for people to know um, who their, their leaders are. And um, they also hear about our um, artisans there. We actually have artisans who speak at all of our conferences. And we have um, some of the, we have the founders of our artisan group in Pakistan coming to speak at this conference for our compassionate entrepreneurs. And um, I'm very excited about that. And I know they are too. Um, so it's just a fun weekend where we celebrate being women. We celebrate helping other women all around the world. And um, we learn how to take, to, um, wield that responsibly better, just more strategically, um, and how to truly empower other people all around the world, because that's what we're all about. Love it. Man, that sounds like a fun time. And by the time this podcast goes live, y'all will have already had it, but you guys are launching your fall catalog around then, right? We are. Yeah, we um, are launching our new fall line and catalog at Empower at this event. And um, it will be live when um, when this podcast goes live. Um, but our fall line is so beautiful. Um, oh, I just want to describe it and tell everyone right now. <laughs> um, it is full of, of beautiful jewelry, everything from statement pieces to casual everyday pieces um, and scarves. Um, and some beautiful, beautiful bags, some like leather work and stuff and um, beautiful home decor as well. So our, our products are, are the vehicle to help bring this change that we want to see around the world. But it's also so much fun. Um, I'm, you know, a, a, a woman and I love fashion and I love um, dressing up and I love um, even if I'm not dressing up, I love using what I'm wearing that day or what I'm accessorizing with to kind of express how, who I am or how I'm feeling. Um, I think it's fun when you can use things like um, accessories or what you put on that day um, as something fun, like something like a bag, which has such a functional need can um, be really fun at the same time. And then on top of that, ours is also, um, you know, that it came from safe working conditions because that's another thing we learned too, is that so much of what we buy was made around the world in sweatshops, um, in just terrible, terrible working conditions. Some where children work in these sweatshops and create these products. And so it's really nice not needing to wonder like, what did people endure to, so I could have this really cute leather bag or this really cute necklace. Um, obviously there um, isn't a marketplace for us to buy every single thing that we own um, from, we, from, you know, backgrounds where we know it was safely and sustainably sourced. But any purchases that we can make to ensure that we are um, taking care of our planet and the people who are, are on this planet, um, I think is really important. Right. I agree. And, and it's just conscious consumerism because, Absolutely. you know, we can choose 
like regardless, the demand is there. So the sweatshops are going to stay until the demand's not there anymore. So why not put our money somewhere where it takes the demand off of unsafe working conditions and puts it on um, the companies that are choosing to have ethical work working conditions for their employees? Oh, you are speaking my language. I love everything you just said. Amazing. It's a real thing. And it, and it is a challenge to move into kind of slow fashion or uh, conscious consumerism because it, it is more expensive. And um, it, but I think it's worth it. Like, why not have less items that are, that are usually better made and more intentionally made and promoting um, like good stewardship of our earth and the people on it. Absolutely. I love it. Well, where can people find Trades of Hope if they want to get involved, if they would like to be a conscious um, entrepreneur, I mean, compassionate entrepreneur, um, if they would like to just shop their hearts out, where can they find Trades of Hope and where can they find you online? I'd I'd love for you to share that so our listeners can um, support you guys. Absolutely. Well, tradesofhope.com is the place to go. Um, if you are, um, obviously ready to shop till you drop, because there's lots to choose from there. Um, and if you're interested in, um, learning more about becoming a compassionate entrepreneur, um, it's truly for those who do have the entrepreneurial spirit, um, and want a flexible way to earn an income that you confidently know is helping other people too. Um, that is a great opportunity for, for someone like that. And so tradesofhope.com is where you can learn more about that. And also, um, if you want to do something kind of in the middle, a little shopping, um, but then not quite ready for the compassion entrepreneur step yet, um, you can become a hostess for a compassion entrepreneur, um, where you can earn free product and you can help get the word out about what compassion entrepreneurs are doing. So, um, definitely tradesofhope.com. Um, it's, a Beautiful, fun place where you can learn about um, how we are helping women all around the world. Um, and I, uh, my links um, are also on tradesofhope.com under um, the about page. You can find Elizabeth Heishkins and all of my links are there. But um, I have a blog at elizabethheishkins.com and I'm also on Instagram at Elizabeth Heishkins. Perfect. And that will be all linked up in the show notes so Perfect. that people can find you and just click on over. And we are so thankful that you've joined us today. I, I have so enjoyed um, hearing your story and I know our listeners have as well. Thank you so much. It's been so great to be here. I'm a huge fan of Radiant and um, this has been such a blast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other.